Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy for Catholic Studies Academy. And today, our topic is going uh, is going to be happiness. We're going to continue our discussion on this. Uh, but before we get started, I want to invite all our listeners, please follow us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. This really helps us out in uh, building our community and getting our content out to those uh, who love wisdom um, and who want to grow in their Catholic faith. Uh, that's our goal and that's what we want to do and we want to be able to build that and build that community online. So please, if you can help us out on any of the socials, that is very much appreciated. All right, Dr. Smith, let's get started with today's topic. And we're not going to necessarily pick up where we left off um, from last time, but we are going to kind of follow up. And, sure. and last time we had a conversation about kind of Aristotle's definition of happiness and right. uh, uh, went through some of uh, his interesting thoughts on it, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, are really interesting because Aristotle comes before the time of Christ. So the fact that he was right. able to do this without knowledge of the gospel uh, is impressive. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very uh, and, and can we can gain a lot from it. Um, so maybe uh, to get us started here, maybe, um, you know, um, Maybe you can review with us maybe some of uh, sure. some of the high points of uh, Aristotle's thought on happiness, uh, and really kind of maybe we can get into really the the fragility of happiness, right? right. About how easy it is to to lose our happiness and um, mm-hmm. how quickly you know it can mm-hmm. feel like it comes and goes and all those <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think that uh, uh, Aristotle has a, a very powerful model, uh, very interesting and helpful vision of what happiness is. Mm-hmm. It really turns on the idea that um, happiness is living a desirable life, a right. truly desirable life for a human being. Um, and so what does that mean to live a truly desirable life for a human being? Well, it means a lot of things actually, right? <laughs> like there's a core to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is that you should do those kinds of things consistently that are truly praiseworthy and truly desirable. So that would you know, mean acting in accordance with reason, uh, which practically comes down to acting in accordance with the virtues um, yeah. and within your sort of state of life, within your uh, duties and social relationships. Um, so, you know, you would avoid, um, you know, uh, uh, drunkenness because that destroys your reason. You would avoid treachery because uh, you know, treason uh, because that would be contrary to the justice to which you owe to your city state, that sort of thing. Right. So a good life, a praiseworthy life, a desirable life for a human being would include many virtuous acts. Right. Right. Um, both across the spectrums of your life and across the decades of your life. Yeah. So I think that that's a, a, that's a good picture, right? So at the end of your life, right, you can look back on it and say, you know, well done. You know, yeah. you know this was a good life, right? Uh, I, I have acted well, right? Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, um, on the face of it, you know, I think that that's um, hard to, to disagree with, right? I mean, I think, you know, that would be part of happiness, right, is that you, you could look at the whole of your life, and say, well done, right? Um, as a whole, right? What do you think about that, Jason? Yeah, and I think, and that was one of the interesting points of, you know, kind of his his analysis or his, you know, his take on happiness is that, you know, you you won't really know it till you're dead. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says, no man, call no man happy, right? 
until uh, until he is dead. So he's again looking at other people, right? Yeah. And his his <laughs> his, uh, his example of that is uh, is Priam, right? From oh yeah, from the Iliad, you know, who uh, you know lived a desirable life uh, all the way up until the end, when it became completely catastrophically evil, right? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so. Um, or at least, you know, tragic. Um, and, and so, you know, that's what he's got in mind. Now, what's interesting, right, is that that points to the fact that for Aristotle, a flourishing human life, a desirable human life, it includes virtue, mm-hmm. but is not identical to virtue. Yeah. Right. And I think sometimes people kind of get that, kind of get that mistaken, right? There are passages where Aristotle talks about, you know, the fact that you don't need very much, right? You don't need to be super wealthy to be happy. Right. Um, he says you only need a, you know, a moderate amount, but he does think you need a moderate amount. Yeah, right? yeah. So your your happiness yeah. is both dependent upon virtue, but also external goods, right? And that's right. You know, that's like right. that's a, I mean, that's a huge thing, even for the Christian, because it, it can, yeah. it can, you know, um, kind of easy for us to kind of fall into this kind of thing of, of kind of um, to hell with the whole world and everything outside of it. You know, I just need, I just need with what's inside me. Well, no, that's not necessarily the case, you know, Um, you know, and yeah. And there's so much in Aristotle that I think, you know, really for the, for the Catholic, we could say, Oh, okay. Jesus has an answer for that. Jesus Mm -hmm. has an answer for that. You know, like, sure. You won't, you won't really be happy till you're dead. Oh Mm -hmm. yeah. Jesus will add to that, you know? Right. Uh, You know, so I mean, it's really interesting to, (laughs) to, to see um, Aristotle uh, with uh, kind of a a Christian, Christian view. Sure. So, you know, imagine you're in a situation where, you know, um, you've had a moderately, uh, a moderate amount of prosperity in your life Mm -hmm. um, and you have been acting virtuously um you have a family life right you have children mm-hmm. right uh aristotle would say ah this is you know you're, you're doing well right this is a happy yeah. life but then some you know sort of famine befalls the land right um and you see you know um your prosperity vanish right uh, this happened right during the peloponnesian wars mm. uh so this has been after um uh no actually you know, uh, before uh aristotle times Aristotle's time, but you know, the great famine really, and you know, you saw terrible, horrible things happen in some of the city states. Sure. As the people were literally, as, as some peoples were literally starving to death, right? And so you, you sort of say, you know, Aristotle's gonna say, this is just, I think, again, kind of a natural common sense reaction. Um, you know, the virtuous man is gonna handle that situation better than the vicious man, right? right? That's for sure, as Aristotle thinks, but he's not going to be happy, right? Yeah. When you watch your children and your wife starve to death, you can't say you've lived a desirable life, right? Yeah. You know, in the sense that the no one would choose that, is, I think is what he's saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, a good way to, to think about this, and, you know, of course, this also finds... Um, a lot in St. Thomas is just the, the, the phrase human flourishing, right? Mm -hmm. So to be happy is to flourish as a human person. Well, Mm -hmm. you need, you know, um, but you have bodily needs that need to be met. Right. Mm -hmm. And when those are not met, you can't flourish as, um, as a human being, right. You know, uh, like if you're, if you're starving and you spend your day looking for scraps of food, like 
you're not yeah. going to be happy, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. it's so so it's not it's not this you know we're we're not taking a very worldly view on it. We're taking a realistic view. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's a view tied to human nature. We're animals, right? Yeah. And um, you know we're rational animals, but we are animals, and so I think in some ways it's kind of. I think there are some criticisms we can make of Aristotle on this point. Mm-hmm. I think before sure. making the criticisms, I think we need to see that he's making a legitimate point here too, right? Right. Uh, that there is something that's that he's 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 hitting right, which is that we are we are animals and we are social animals, and yeah. so there there is sometimes that I've found this when teaching students maybe who are very zealous right uh, for the faith or whatever. You know, where they'll say, oh, no, you could still be happy. And I'm like, really? Like, you could really sit there and watch your kids starve to death and be okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Okay. Right. That's just not like that. That is not um, feasible. Now, we'll we'll maybe talk about a way in which it is feasible, but I think at a natural level, right? Sure. For most human beings, um, you know, Aristotle is speaking for them. Right. He's speaking for, you know, which is the, no, that like we're social and to see our, our kin, to see our city, our fellow yeah. citizens going through this, right, uh, is um, deeply terrible. Yeah. And, and, you know, and even what Aristotle said, you know, it depends also on, you know, your state in life, right? Mm. Like if I'm a monastic monk living in the desert and I don't have food, like I'm cool with that because that's you know what that's my job, right? Uh-huh, sure. You know, but if I'm a father of like twelve kids mm-hmm. and I don't have food, like that's very different. That's very like that situation. Yeah, right. I I can't sit there and say, well, children, let me mm-hmm. explain suffering. Sit at my knee. You know, right. no, like they're gonna be screaming and crying because they're starving, right? Like, sure. you know, so so yeah, so so much of it depends. Uh, well, not not so much of it, but th- happiness does depend. Human flourishing does depend. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, on both the virtues and to some extent external goods, which is That's right. yeah. Aristotle's Aristotle. point. Yeah, because of, again, our animality and our social character, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one last point here, um, uh, being a conquered people, right? You can't be happy in that, he thinks. Um, and another one that's important is um, slaves, right? So slavery yeah. in the ancient world is very diverse. You know, sometimes people try to kind of um, downplay it uh, it, it, it 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 had a spectrum it could be sure it could be uh you know less painful versions of it um if you you know in some circumstances but it went all the way to you know uh people who slaved away in the silver mines of athens um for most of their lives until they die in the caves uh and that was just complete misery right so yeah. there's a spectrum there and aristotle looking at that spectrum um you know, says you can't really be happy and be a slave, right? Right. And a big, uh, you know, part of that, of course, is the physical misery. But another part of that is that you lack self-direction, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you are an instrument of another. Uh, so he does talk about the fact that you can sort of, this sounds so weird to our, our ears, <laughs> you can have the virtues that are appropriate to a slave, which means being useful to your master. Right. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's about as the highest amount of flourishing you could achieve. You couldn't achieve full human flourishing yeah. because you're not living a full human life, right? You're not totally self-governing. Uh, you're, you're governed, um, you know, by, by another. So that's another category that goes to sort of like your place in life. 
uh, sure. your station life. If and of course, Aristotle is not an abolitionist in the least. So, you know, <laughs> he, you know, he thinks there's going to be slaves and it's just, it's, it's too bad. So yeah. can't be happy, right. Um, so there's a lot of that, that sounds harsh, right. Um, but again, just kind of think through it a little bit that if your social circumstances are such that you don't have any control of your life, that you're desperately poor, that you're living dollar to dollar. I mean, your ability to achieve real genuine human flourishing is going to be um, uh, diminished, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's on Aristotle's side. And, and I think the conclusion you draw from all of that is that um, it's hard to be happy. <laughs> Yeah, few. Yeah, yeah. It's a few are actually happy. Um, at best, the most people could maybe achieve a kind of, you know, they do the right thing most of the time because it's the right thing, but they don't really flourish. They maybe have some modicum of pleasant, you know, content life, but that's sure. not really flourishing, right? Yeah. Um, and so he thinks that really the few flourish, and that's because of the what we kind of talked about at the beginning here you talked about was the fragility of happiness the happiness yeah. you know can be shattered in a way um by the circumstances of your life and priam is the you know the prime example there um that he goes through this whole life of happiness um of living a life that's desirable um from the you know, greek perspective and it's completely destroyed mm -hmm. right, at the end right i mean he sees terrible things happen before his eyes um so that, that's the Aristotelian point of view. I think there's a lot that's interesting and helpful there, right? yeah. but I think there's also some interesting arguments, but I do think it's, it's useful to, for us to sit back and think, because, you know, as Americans, we think anyone can be happy, mm -hmm. right? Of course, then you have to kind of query, well, what do we mean by that? Yeah. Um, do we mean genuine human flourishing? No, you get a, you get a defined everything for yourself doc <laughs> okay there you go what right. does happiness mean for you right yeah, yeah. You know, okay. i just want to add one quick, yeah that's funny that's uh, true that's true um, and then you can achieve it right yeah um but um you know some similar things might come up if you were doing a utilitarian analysis of happiness right sure because you know that's also very um there your happiness would be very um sensitive to external circumstances Right? Sure. Your, your total quantity of pleasure over pain, right? That has a lot to do really with your uh, environment, not just, just yourself. Yeah. And you could even go full Joel Osteen right there and just, you know, <laughs> your holiness, your, your, your favor with God is dependent upon all your external goods. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. So, um, so what, what, did, what did some of the other ancients say? Sure. Uh, with regards to happiness with uh, uh um so we had uh, aristotle fewer happy you know uh, most are kind of content at best right mm -hmm. um what what else does the ancient world have to uh offer us with regards to to looking at happiness well one of the you know um movements in the um uh, philosophical in the ancient world philosophical movements that really was among the most popular and it's interesting we sometimes uh neglect that fact, but probably the most popular form of uh, philosophy in the ancient world was actually Stoicism, mm. uh, which might be a little bit surprising to us. Um, there, of course, you know, everyone respected Platonism uh, mm -hmm. as an important stream. Aristotelianism um, really wasn't, I mean, it, it certainly had its proponents and everybody 
would examine or interact with Aristotle. Um, but really, the Stoics were more popular than either of those schools uh, during the, the Roman Empire, for sure. Interesting. Um, and I think it had to do with the fact that a lot of Stoicism is very practical. It's yeah. very much oriented towards how you live. Um, and in a lot of ways, uh, you know, of course, you know, we, we, the word Stoic, you know, kind of comes with a lot of negative connotations, I think, today, sure. you know, I think of people who are uh, passionless and frown all the time and that sort of thing. Um, and there is certainly, to be sure, a certain kind of austerity uh, that comes with Stoicism. Um, but I think, you know, if you actually looked at it, at the kinds of lives that they recommend, they don't recommend passionless lives. Mm -hmm. They recommend lives in which desire, you know, is in keeping with reason and nature. Uh, they don't want you to forgo all pleasures. They just don't want you to be enslaved to pleasures, right? That sort of thing. Um, you know, they do talk about a kind of apatheia, uh, which is a kind of uh, lack of passion, but really they mean kind of passions as evil there. Okay. Um, so I think that, that, you know, probably, I don't want to sort of diminish the austerity of the Stoics because it is there, uh, but at the same time, they probably, to some degree, it's kind of maybe exaggerated a little bit. Um, they did live very good lives, like in terms of virtue. Mm -hmm. right? So they were um, uh, very uh, committed to to virtue, and, and, and even in ways that other uh, ancient folks thought were strange, right? So for example, they did not practice infanticide. Uh, they were very clear that infanticide was wrong. They were clear that abortion was wrong uh, in the ancient world, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, they rescued... Um, on a regular basis, they rescued abandoned infants. Um, Epictetus, who was himself a slave and then later freed, um, I think he rescued, he had something like eight rescued kids that he kept with him like towards the end of his life. So, I mean, he was very um, wow. um, sincere, you know, about that sort of thing. Um, they thought that not only women, but men should also be chased, uh, which, you know, was unusual in the Greek world and in the, in the Roman world. Um, so they're kind of interesting, right? In that sense, they, they were, they were kind of a, um, a, a in some ways, um, transcended their surroundings a little bit, you know, in terms of their values that they espouse, uh, but they were sort of a popular movement. And if you read interesting. a yeah. lot of yeah, stoicism, there's a little, they're a little preachy, right? Actually, which is kind of fun because, uh, they're really trying to exhort people, right. To live this kind of different kind of life. Right. Yeah. Uh, and if you're, you know, a new Testament reader, you can see a little, feel a little bit of that, you know, like here's a, it's almost like a sermon, you know, like scholars of stoicism will talk about it that way. Um, that uh, uh, the, you know, the, the discourses, right. Are sort of meant really to be exhortations. There are arguments in there, but they're really meant to be sure. uh, exhortations. So the Stoics though have a very um, different view in some ways from Aristotle. Now, again, all of Western ancient philosophy grows out of Socrates and Plato, right? Mm -hmm. Socrates is the paradigm. Aristotle departs from Plato and, um, and, and Socrates probably more than the other ancient schools. Mm -hmm. uh, the other ancient schools, you know, all claim Socrates for themselves, right? And so the Stoics claim they're the true heirs of Socrates. So do the cynics, uh, <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, so do the skeptics. Um, you know, so it's, it's interesting, right, that they, they are, uh, even the, um, um, even the, uh, the hedonists, right, uh, you know, claim that, that so so they're the true Socratic uh, philosophers. But in any event, so um, there's a, in the early dialogues, 
when you're reading those early dialogues, which you know most scholars think give us probably a pretty accurate picture of, of Socrates. There's an emphasis on virtue that that's that's stronger than in Aristotle, where virtue is the good, right? And that happiness right. is virtue. So he says, you know, there's these kind of paradoxical sayings. He'll say things like uh, um, Socrates will in the Gorgias, he says, well, it is better to suffer evil than to do evil. Right. Yeah, like, I like it, that. Is yeah. it really true? You know, from a Greek point of view, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, maybe you might say, I don't want to do evil in general, but if those are my only two choices, well, I'd rather rob than be robbed. Right. Yeah. And Socrates is like, nope, I'd rather be robbed, assaulted, beaten, um, than assault, beat, or rob. Uh, and that's interesting. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Think about how, and think about how different that is than from what Aristotle has to say about it, right? Because Aristotle, I don't think, would want you to rob, but he wouldn't sort of think that you could be happy and be beaten, right? <laughs> yeah. Robbed, right. You know, I mean, in a significant way. Um, so the Stoics really pick up on that strain, I think, in the early Platonic dialogues, right? Mm -hmm and uh, develop a view uh, in which actually your happiness is impervious to your circumstances, right? Oh, uh, interesting. Your yeah. happiness, uh, uh, regardless of whether you are, and this is really interesting, an emperor or a slave. That's why I talked about that slave example at the beginning. A, a good number of the Stoics were slaves, actually. Uh, and, and the most famous of which was Epictetus, who, you know, was a slave for most of his life, was eventually freed by his master. Um, but, um, you know, uh, you could be a slave and be a stoic and be and, and think of yourself as being happy. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, which pu pushes against our modern sensibilities on another side of us. Right. But it's, um, you know, so uh, why is that the case? Well, there's a number of things you could say here. Uh, Epictetus really emphasizes the idea of distinguishing between what is our own and what is not our own, right? So at the beginning of his little book called The Handbook, he talks about uh, distinguishing, you know, saying this over and over to yourself, sure. right? Some things are under my control and others are not. Right? <laughs> and the, one of the stoic practices is to repeat that to yourself because if you think if you set your desires on things that are not under your control, yeah. well, what's going to happen? Well, your happiness is going to be subject to your circumstances, right? Um, on the other hand, if you set your, your desire only under those things that are under your control, then, right, you can achieve what you want and avoid what you want. Now, he thinks that what you should be wanting to achieve is virtue, right? Yeah. And what you want to avoid is vice, and that is under your control. Yeah. Right. You know, I think it's like an early version of the serenity prayer, right? Yeah. Like a, like <laughs> a pre-Christian. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And there's, and there's a lot of truth to it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, imagine that you are a slave, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, and maybe your, your, your situation isn't uh, completely wretched, but it's not super comfortable either. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to work hard and you get no particular rewards for it. Maybe occasionally you get some awards. Um, if your master is kind and just, uh, or decent, um, but you do get beaten occasionally, you know, for disrespects. Mm -hmm. Um, and in that situation, you know, he would say, you know, could you be happy? And Epictetus would say, of course you can. 
right? Yeah. You don't wow. control whether that man beats you or whether that man is unjust to you. You don't control the circumstances under which you became a slave, yeah. uh, probably. Uh, there are a small number of people who would sell themselves into slavery, but most, you know, were either captives or born into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't control those circumstances. Um, you don't control the circumstances of um, your assignment, right? All you can really do is do your part, right? Right. So, you know, you do your part. I make the right choices. You know, I try to serve my master well. That's interesting. He would say that that's what a slave is supposed to do. Um, let's try to serve his master well. Um, whether he's treated well or not, is that up to him? No. Yeah. So he shouldn't put his desire upon the idea of, I want to be treated well by my master. What he puts his desire on is, I want to serve my master well. And yeah, and, 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 and I think, I think for, for the, for the, the, the person thinking today, you know, just about that kind of idea of slavery. I mean, just think about your relationship with your employer. Sure. You're exchanging your work for, uh, you know, reward, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I'm not saying that modern work is slavery. It can be, not. but I'm just, but I, but what I'm saying is that you have that relationship where in some sense mm-hmm. you have somebody that's, or unless you're, you know, you mm-hmm. own the company or something, you have. Uh, somebody to answer to you have a quarter you know i don't want to say master but you have a boss right sure. and yeah. and you know you you can choose there are things that you're gonna have to do that you may not mm-hmm. want to do and you can mm-hmm. choose to do them poorly or you could choose to do them well even though right. you 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 really don't want to do them or sure you think it's uh, even if you think it's unjust for you to do them right right, right. Uh, um to do them well well, I mean, that's a, that's a sign of virtue. That's a, yeah, that's a virtuous right. act. Yeah. And so I think, think, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, slavery is an extreme example, right? Sure. It sort of brings yeah, out yeah. sort of the time. But if you say, think about it in your kind of day-to-day life, you know, getting cut off in traffic, uh, suffering, you know, the pain of getting up maybe when you didn't want to, um, the, um, you know, going to work, your boss not treating you nicely, a colleague being snarky, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, all, all those kinds of things that can happen in an ordinary day, you know, your wife, um, uh, burns the dinner, uh, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, you know, all uh, those things are not in your control, right? And and you know, so if you want to deal with just kind of day to day stuff, those are the kinds of things you shouldn't worry about uh, having a nice dinner. You shouldn't worry about your boss treating you nicely. You shouldn't worry about uh, people driving well. What you should do is you drive well. You serve yeah. your employer well, right? That sort of thing. Um, so again, it's a, it, there's an interesting ethos there, right? That those. Yeah. Things the circumstances, all those things outside of me that are not in my control, I leave, I take my desire and I don't, I don't put my heart into those things, so to speak. Yeah. Um, where so the circumstances problem. do not have a bearing on happiness, unlike Aristotle, That's who right. said that happiness is, is attached in some way to mm-hmm. these external mm-hmm. goods and even right. like that. So for the, for the Stoics then, slaves can be happy. Anybody can have, anybody can be That's happy. Right. That's right. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. it's possible. And, and uh, you know, the only true absolute good is virtue, right? Mm-hmm. We've been talking about. There are things that are called um, um, desirables, right? Okay. They would call, you know, so being prosperous is a desirable. It mm-hmm. is something that one can choose and be virtuous, put it that mm. way. One need not choose it, right? Yeah. So, you know, you do your job and you want to be paid, um, or put it this way, you do your job, you want to be paid, but it's not the absolute good, right? Right. 
and similarly, you know, this is kind of funny with it, you know, when it comes to family life, right? You know, they think, well, you know, having a wife is fine if that's what, you know, uh, you know, Logos or Zeus or God brings you. Uh, it's something that is um, compatible with virtue, mm-hmm. um, but it's not the good upon which your happiness hangs, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, right. Interesting. Um, so that, you know, can you be happy? and a widower and you know Epictetus would say yes you know you can you can still be happy um you have you have lost something that is choice worthy uh Mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily shatter your happiness right so uh that probably brings in a little bit of that part that's a little austere sounding in the stoics but it, it makes sense given their overall view one other thing we do need to add to this picture is that the stoics had a very strong view of providence right um their view was, I think this is especially clear in the later Stoics, um, like in Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius, um, that they thought, you know, that there was a kind of divine reason, mm-hmm. uh, logos, that ruled uh, history and that ruled nature, right? And so that there was a sense in which, you know, if I was, if I was born to be, if I if I was pressed into being a Roman legionary as a young man, uh, mm-hmm. which what could happen, or if I was a farmer in a poor farm in, you know, Northern uh, Italy, or if I was a slave, or if I was an emperor, right. That those are the places in which God had put me. Mm. Right. And so that uh, an important part of acting in conformity to nature acting according to duty, what they would kind of think about in terms of social relation or social obligation has to do with the fact that that is part of divine logos, right? Mm-hmm. Divine logos puts you in that place. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so as long as you're, so say you're a Roman centurion or a Roman legionary, you know, you, you should do what a Roman legionary is supposed to do. Uh, you may not be recognized or praised for it. Right. Again, that's outside of your power, right? Yeah. Your, your job is to stand in the line and do your duty until Zeus takes you, <laughs> right? Until the string of your life is over. Um, so, um, does that make some sense? What do you think about all that? It's like kind of interesting. Yeah, thing. yeah. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. to uh, which Which one do you think is kind of more in line with? Because uh, we'll talk here in a sec about Christianity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and how a lot of this is, you know, um, transformed or fulfilled. Which do you think is more close? closely related to christian yeah. happiness yeah i think because i can see a little in both i mean yeah, right there's so, yeah there's something very human and elitist about aristotle's view I sure think. yeah right? um very human in the sense that he recognizes our that our happiness it does seem to be attached our flourishing does seem to be attached to our circumstances right right just, you know you know you're you're you um the stoics will say things in passages you know you know when you're quite when you kiss your wife remember that she is only mortal right <laughs> and, and 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 they literally there's a passage like this is a max a stoic maxim right um and that you know if you want her to live forever then you desire what is impossible and you are irrational <laughs> right so you know that like you're like man that's that's kind of hard yeah uh, you know whereas i think aristotle would say well you know, i mean if you have a beloved wife and you lose her i mean that's a that, that could be a real loss you know um, yeah and and see that that would would kind of damage your happiness you know uh, at the same time you know aristotle's kind of an elitist right i mean i think 
It would disqualify like entire peoples of entire <laughs> generations <laughs> of entire lands. That's right. Right. I mean, so, exactly. yeah. I mean, Aristotle really thinks that, I mean, it really comes down to it. Aristotle thinks uh, a moderately wealthy, a moderately prosperous gentleman yeah. in gentleman. a Greek city state is about the only person who can be happy. Right? <laughs> I mean, he's pretty clear in some passages that manual yeah. laborers, they can't be happy. Tradesmen can't be happy. Women can't be happy. Slaves can't be happy. I mean, he just goes on and on, right? And it, <laughs> it's really just a really small group of people who can get all of the conditions together. Sure. To live this flourishing life, right? Yeah. Um, so on the one hand, Aristotle's view is very kind of humane, I think, in a sense where it's tied to nature. On the other, it is pretty elitist, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and fairly <laughs> narrow. Um, you know, I think I'd rather live among the Stoics. Sure. If that makes sense, because I think I'd be living around people who are very conscientious and responsible uh, and, and dutiful, if that makes sense, you know? And, um, and, and seem to have even practice a little bit of something, not charity, but something like it, you know? Yeah. Um, in, in rescuing the, um, they thought of the all human beings as having a little bit of the divine logos inside of them. And so they yeah. thought of um, abandoned infants, right? As, as really an uh, impious abuse of the gods, right? <laughs> and so that's why they would rescue these children, right? They, sure. they didn't think that, that uh, this was a pious act. So in some ways, and the, uh, the real truth is, historically, the Stoics were more influential on the mm -hmm. fathers of the church than Aristotle. Um, we recognize this certainly with respect to Neoplatonism and Plotinus. Yeah. But I think we don't recognize enough how influential, this is actually changing some of the scholarship right now, how influential uh, the Stoics were, the Stoics were. Uh, on the early church. Um, you can see this in a lot of the, um, writings of the desert fathers, mm -hmm. um, and some of the moral writings of, um, the, uh, um, Eastern fathers. And you can certainly see elements of it in the new, in, uh, Paul, sure. right? where you can almost, uh, you can take, uh, passages, some of those household passages in Paul, and they, they follow almost word for word stoic household passages. Interesting. Um, yeah. so there's a, you know, and, and, you know, Paul was a well-educated well man and, and there's, we have every reason to believe that he uh, did know about stoicism. And I think there's a, a good consensus of, of scholars who think that uh, he was, he was educated in such a way he was aware of it. Sure. Sure. That's awesome. All right. So now getting into Christianity, right? right. So where does, uh, uh, where does happiness lie? Where, mm -hmm. where do we find uh, happiness for yeah, the Christian? So I think, you know, it, I, um, as we were talking before the show goes, I, I would love to spend more time being able to explore not just patristic writings, but just Christianity in the ancient world, you know, like sure, what was yeah. it really like, you know, for those Christians in the first and second centuries and, and what did, and I love the, the, you know, the, the, there's a great book, I can't remember the author's name now, but um, the Christians as the Romans saw them. I love mm -hmm. it because it gives you like a different, totally different perspective, you know, of what Romans wrote about Christians. Like, who are these weirdos? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like and you know, some, some Romans had a fair, fairly benign view and, and, sure. and others kind of like a lot more hostile. Um, but uh, you know, if you think about Christianity, um, it comes into this Hellenic world, right? Roman Hellenic world, 
past the classical age of Greece, but still mm-hmm. within the empire and um, the imperial state of Rome. And, you know, it's full of philosophical movements. Sure. Right. And, you know, Augustine kind of gives you a little bit of the flavor of that in his De Civitati Dei, where he talks about the philosophers, right? And he talks about the different versions of the good and the kind of life you're supposed to lead, right? Um, and, and Christianity in that way can be seen as a competitor, I think, right, with the various uh, philosophical movements. Now, you, in the big picture, you might want to have a more nuanced view of it, not call Christianity a competitor, but I think as a matter of historical fact, Right. Right. It did kind of compete with the philosophical schools. Um, and so you can get, I think a comparison on the point of happiness is actually interesting from a philosophical perspective. Yeah. Right? Uh, also from a religious perspective, but, but, but from a philosophical perspective. So if you think, if you look at a lot of new Testament passages, mm-hmm. what does the new Testament hold out to us as the great prize, right? The, the pearl to be found, right? The, the, yeah. the treasure, what you like, what, what, you know, cause if you're honest, when you read the new Testament, right. Um, you know, there's a, it's a demanding life, a demanding way of life. Uh, it involves a cross, right. You know, <laughs> you're just to take up your cross daily uh, and you're going to follow the, you know, this person who was crucified. Um, you know, it's like, wow, it's like, what, that doesn't seem super attractive from an ancient perspective, ancient world perspective. Yeah. I don't think Aristotle would like that. (laughs) (laughs) Not so much. (laughs) The, um, uh, so what is the prize, right? That's held out there as, as the highest good for the human being. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's, it's really the resurrection of the body and eternal life. Right. Yeah. Um, that, Aristotle holds out, not Aristotle, sorry, Paul and the other New Testament writers hold out the possibility of knowing God. Yeah. Um, hold out the possibility of being adopted sons of God, right? So having a, a filial relationship, right? With the first cause, the highest principle of all things, um, which is just not something, you know, in view really for, um, uh, certainly for Aristotle, maybe a little bit for the uh, Stoics, sure. uh, just because they had the idea of the, they did have a kind of vague metaphorical idea of logos as the father and, and all of us as part of um, the human family. Um, but but really that sort of knowing in essence, right, becoming a member of the family of God, right? That's that's something unique to the Christian vision, right? Um, sure. Yeah, and and it's and it's. There, there, you know, there's sections throughout the old, the, the New Testament where it's, I mean, it's very clear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and we'll put the, we'll put all these um, scripture passages in the, the show notes there for you to, to go back and read through. But I mean, one of the clearest ones is John 17, three. Yeah. Now this is eternal life, colon, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Like, mm-hmm. that's yeah eternal life that's right that's yeah Yeah. and you know interestingly the stoics don't hold that out yeah Uh, they're they're odd as there's the stoics are so odd by the you know they're actually materialist and so oh really yeah, yeah they think that they even think that logos is a kind of element in the world so that when you die you dissolve and and the that little bit of logos that's inside of you kind of reunites with the stream of logos uh and that's it 
you know, you don't have any personality left or anything like that. It's just, yeah, but that's a weird, I, I mean, that, that's an interesting kind of understanding like, uh, or, you know, of even like kind of communion, right? Like mm-hmm. there, there's something uniting us there and there's something sure. that will, we will, we will go back to where we came. Right. Yes, that's, that's right. That's, sure. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, but uh, you're, there, there's no idea. There's no sense of an individual soul though. I'd put it that right, way. Right. 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 You're absorbed back into logos. Um, the, uh, and then Aristotle is very unclear on this matter. And there's huge debates about whether or not Aristotle believed in the immortality of the soul or not. Mm. Uh, but even if he does, there's no, there's no sense of heaven, right. Yeah, or yeah, fellowship yeah. with God. I mean, you just kind of continue. Right. And I think about the best you could speculate is that if you lived decent, if you lived a flourishing life, you would kind of dwell on enjoying the truth of your flourishing. <laughs> And that's yeah. about it, <laughs> you know, like, a, you know, so that's not the kind of eternal life that we're talking about that Christianity holds out. Right. Yeah. Where you have intimate fellowship and communion with God and in that Trinity Trinitarian way, right. Joining in, you know, the, the love and knowledge of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, um, along with the resurrection of the body. Right. And this is what the Greeks have thought. <clears throat> you remember when Paul goes, to the Greeks, they're like the resurrection of the body. What are you talking about? And you know they're very common sense, and they're like, we can see rotting bodies. Yeah, bodies don't come back; they rot and they turn. The science, the science is settled. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah, right, we can look at this right. And the thing about, of course, the Greeks. I mean, they're living in a time when they can, they do watch bodies die. They see battles all the time. I mean, they, like it's not. This isn't some textbook thing. That's Watching. right. We just call it Tuesday, right? That's right. Like, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, holding out the resurrection of the body. And of course, what this, this yeah. both of these ideas, I think, tie into is the idea of the kingdom, right? And that, that God, that the first principle will dwell with his people, right? Yeah. You know, in a kind of face-to-face um, fellowship. Um, that's not something that the Greeks would have thought much of, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when you that is that that holds out a very different view, right? That there is going to be this perfect world in which um, virtue is completed, awarded, and actualized in relationship to right um this uh the first principle right um and so and that the whole cosmos right will be remade right so that's a you know a very different view again the stoics have a little bit of this idea um they have the idea that um eventually there is a kind of um cataclysm from which like they have a cyclical view of history right sure you know and so um it goes on and on and on and on actually until the world becomes perfectly rational. And then, uh, and then logo starts it all over again. Um, the, uh, this, this endless process of making the world perfectly rational, right. Mm, uh, sounds very of, Hegelian. Or yeah, <laughs> there is a little bit of that. Yeah, so, but anyways, um, the, um, um, so, you know, so how does that help us to think about happiness? Well, let me ask you this, Jason, could, the martyrs, yeah. right? The Christian martyrs, could they be happy? No, right? 
not according to, or not i'm sorry not according to to aristotle yeah that's right right, right. yeah so they, but, but, they but, but to the stoics yeah the stoics could yeah sure for the stoics they could and then also for the christians right yeah of course right? because right they have that first principle right that is the, the highest good the good right the true good for man they have that so even if and you know when you read this in the patristic literature sometimes it seems a little like they're uh they're seeking uh, it out they're seeking out martyrdom right that's right yeah yeah, yeah. and and the the writers get pretty gory uh you know and when you i think if you remember kind of, you know, these crazy things like you know saint lawrence you know says something about like you know uh, turn me over i'm done on this side yeah that's a beautiful that's the stuff that's the stuff my 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 kids love to read about the saints right and i remember reading about the saints like that's awesome there you go exactly yeah so to aristotle of course that's nonsense that's crazy yeah Uh, yeah yeah. and and rightly so i think from universitarian perspective um from the perspective of the stoics I mean, you maybe not delight on it, but you just grit your teeth and think, well, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to scream out. Right. Yeah. Something like that. You know, like you, you just think about it in terms of what you can control. Um, but for the Christian, right, this is entryway into, um, into paradise, into, um, you know, really glory, right. Not only God's glory, but the glory of the saint, right. That the saint himself is glorified, right. In his uh, uh, suffering. Um you know, for the New Testament Christian, uh, could a slave be happy? And I think the answer is yes. Yeah, good, right? Uh, why? Because of uh, the kingdom, right? The, the the future kingdom, right? That he's looking forward to in terms of uh, eternal life and adoption into God's own family. Um, and I think they say, you know, you read uh, 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 John seventeen, I believe. Um, you know, another passage is like that, right? Is uh, you know, first John chapter two, where, you know, the, you know, the author talks about, you know, this world is don't love the things of this world. Right. Because this world is passing away. Right. The things of this world are passing away. That's a very, you know, uh, eschatological passage, right. That points to a very eschatological view of happiness, right. That, you know, I can, the, the things of this world, I think for a Christian, they're going to be a little more, a little different from the Stoic, but there's still going to be kind of a detachment from them, right? Sure. I mean, so it's like this, the Stoic attitude towards the death of a spouse sounds overly cold, <laughs> right? And I think, you know, I think it's just true. At the same time, is the Christian condemned to misery when his, his spouse dies? Yeah, no. Shouldn't be. No, right? now, I think Christians probably have a more balanced view in terms of, you know, we want to say kind of both, right? Yeah. Say that both these are genuine goods and they are genuinely constitutive of my happiness. So that's maybe where the Christians kind of agree a little more with Aristotle, right? Right. Um, but at the same time, they're not the highest good. Yeah. Right. Whereas it almost sounds like the Stoics are sort of almost... Yes, I'll take this if I, you know, um, uh, Epictetus talks about it like this. It's like, it might be that you're walking along the beach and pick up a shell. And so you may acquire a wife. But like, it's like, it's kind of like, it might happen and that's fine. But it's kind of almost indifferent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I think for Christians, we kind of see it a little more like created goods are um, constitutive of our happiness, but not identical to our happiness 
right? So it's a little more complicated position between the Stoics and Aristotle. You see what I'm going to get at? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and, but then you read passages in Paul, right? Where he says, uh, uh, put to death, whatever belongs to the earth, to your earthly nature. Uh Right. I mean, that's strong. It's not like, well, consider less than the (laughs) the highest good those things that belong to your earthly nature he says no put to death that's right you know that's right so i mean he almost sounds like a stoic there right yeah sure um you know so i think for the for like you said for the for the christian it is it is a more it is a more balanced approach you know uh, between kind of aristotle and the uh and the stoics if those are our two Mm -hmm. kind of fence posts um uh you know um but uh, but a lot of it goes back to, you know, when we talked about this, you know, last time with, you know, what is the what is the end? What mm-hmm. is the good toward which uh, we are acting? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, the Christian always has to to keep before them. This is what St. Right. Paul tells us. Right. right keep this. Right. Before. And he talks about uh, running the race. He talks about um, uh, uh, staying devoted yeah. to that to that purpose, to that cause. Right. Yeah. Um, and so for and so for the Christian, that is eternal life. Mm-hmm. And scripture says, you know, over and over, uh, talking about it's this this knowledge of God, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's not just it's not just an, an intellectual knowledge. Yes, it is that. Sure. Um, but it's but it's much more than that, right? It's mm-hmm. like you said, filial adoption. Right, right. Um, that it's 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 so much more. And this is again the 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 uniqueness, right, of uh, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, right? Um, that that you know god is 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 here with us right god is god god with us right that's that's Mm -hmm. what you know name jesus means right that's right um like that 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 is wholly new Mm -hmm. and it's and it's something that is not you know it's something that jesus you know uh he doesn't divorce the earthly goods from the spiritual goods Mm -hmm. but he sets them in proper order Right. Yeah, there's a hierarchy there, right? Yeah, there, there's yeah. a there's a real hierarchy there, and it's mm-hmm. one there for the for the Christian to to imitate, right? Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. we can be in in communion with God, right? Um, uh, yeah. So maybe what are, what are some other? Do you have some other scripture passages maybe that you can, that we can point to when we're when we're looking for kind of this this Christian understanding of happiness, right? Sure. Yeah. So Ephesians chapter one, I think, is a really great one. Um, you know, which has that wonderful preamble about, you know, God chose us before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Uh, he predestined yeah. us to be uh, adopted, uh, to be adopted sons, right? I mean, what a wonderful thing to hear, right? What a wonderful thing uh, to live, right? Uh, this idea that you're going to be um, adopted into, right? Um God's um, God's own family, God's royal household, right? I think, uh, you know, this is where I think an ancient world reading of the New Testament is so helpful, right? Because, yeah. you know, when you think about adoption, you know, that's something that was very common among the upper class of Rome, right? Is that sometimes older families might not have a proper heir. And so they sure. adopt, you know, someone into their family to become really their son, <clears throat> And enjoy all of the privileges of sonship uh, yeah. that could be there. And certainly we can find something parallel, you know, in the Jewish um, culture there uh, as well. Um, but that's powerful, right? To be adopted into the emperor's own family, right? To be adopted into God's own, you know, intimate family um, uh, is something that's, that's uh, you know, sort of powerful uh, and 
uh, unique. I think there's, you know, we can find some things in uh, Philippians. I think uh, you talked about that one, didn't you? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think I brought up Philippians. Philippians. Oh, about the running the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Straining yeah. toward the goal. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, we're gonna run the race and and strain towards the goal. Um, let's see if we pull that up real quick because we were talking about that one. Um, let's see. Let's yeah, Philippians three uh, verses. Um, look at twelve, twelve and following. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, Philippians 3, verses, what did you say again? 12. Okay. Well, actually, you know, if you go back up to 5. Yeah. Um, um, or 8, you know, so it says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Yeah. Because it's a passing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Right. So what, a you know, there's a strong, you know, sense of here, right. The idea that, um, that, uh, you know, the good that we find in Christ, which is this adoption and eternal life surpasses all of the things that are lost. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so that <clears throat> you could lose your freedom. You could lose the ability to use your hand. Maybe you could lose your wealth. You could lose your family, etc. From this perspective, you could still have though the highest good. Right. Um, and you see, and you see kind of that idea also in the saints, right. With, with mm-hmm. them uh, uh, losing everything, you know, sure. or even in the, or even in the, the, the statement of Aquinas, right. All this mm-hmm. straw. Right. Right. Compared to what I've seen. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it said weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it does put us in a weird position. It's it's funny because yeah. this the, then easily runs over into and I, we don't I don't really want to go here, but just to sort of give an indication sure. that um, you know this easily runs over into issue questions about Christianity and political engagement. Sure, uh, because it runs into questions about Christianity and eschatology, right? Like where is the kingdom, right? You know, I think I'll just put my cards on the table that you know the kingdom is not in this world is not of this world i think that's jesus directly speaks to that um and you know that this world is a kind of antechamber so to speak uh or a preface uh prologue uh isn't that interesting way to think about history right that all of our history is really just a prologue to the prologue (laughs) um the uh and how many of us but i think but i think i think it's more interesting when you think of like the application of how how sometimes you actually read a book you just oh I'll skip the prologue. <laughs> Let's yeah, get to the good yeah. stuff. My kids, ah! my kids asked me the other day, "Why did it take Jesus so long to come?" Yeah. Right. What do you say to that, Jason? That's a good. That's question. part of the mystery of God. We don't know, son. <laughs> Why wasn't Genesis for the coming of Christ? Right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Apparently, there's something important about the the stretching out of redemption yeah. history, right? Um, uh, I said, I kind of gave the answer you gave. I said, that's a good one to ask God when you get to heaven. Yeah. Uh, but another, you know, said, I said, I said, part of an answer might be that, you know, all of history is really about God forming a people for his son. Mm. Uh, and that, you know, his son being their savior is part of that. Right. So that he's forming a people that to, to be 
the people that his son inherits, you know, we sometimes use the marriage metaphors, kingly sure. metaphors, things of like that. Well, uh, you know, as savior. So we approach Christ as our savior, right. In uh, being his people. But in any event, uh, I think there's, you know, once you start thinking about happiness in this way and the highest good for human beings, um, you know, it bleeds over to a lot of other issues. Oh uh, yeah. You know, which is, is cool and good to think about. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, looking at Christianity as holding out a different view of the highest good um, than both the, than either the Stoic or the Aristotelian account, I think kind of enriches right the way we maybe we we think about it. Albeit, I think we also need to pay attention to these other two accounts. I think that they're um, sure they're useful. But you know, the way I like to think about things like that um, is that they're useful resources, right? Yeah. The things that you know. Uh, uh, an old Christian way of thinking about this is to think about it in terms of the spoils of Egypt, right? And so that, you know, I can I can pull, like Moses taking the spoils of Egypt, right? Um, when they uh, begin the Exodus, you know, I can take uh, treasures, right? From the Stoics and from Aristotle uh, and use them in my own thought. Yeah. Albeit, I think here, Christianity demonstrates a higher and better ethic, really. Right. Because it both recognizes the, the importance of external goods and created goods while at the same time insisting on the primacy, right. Of um, the uh, kind of happiness that doesn't depend on our circumstances. Yeah. 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 And it really shows the, also the uniqueness of divine revelation. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. We couldn't know this without, without right. God's revelation. Mm -hmm. um, we tried. <laughs> Stoics and Aristotle. Yeah. We got parts of it, but but sure. but the full the fullness of it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, of it, we could not do without God's intervention. That's right. Um, so, it, like I said, we'll put all we'll put uh, some more scripture passages and stuff um, uh, there in the show notes. And I think it's important for for Christians, you know, again, um, uh, to to be happy. This is this is what we want to be. What does that mean, right? Mm -hmm. How do we how do we um, set our sights on the goal. How do we look at the race that's being run? What what is the real finish line? Sure. Um, and that's something that the Christian always needs to hold before them, right? We need mm -hmm. to keep our eyes on the prize. We need to keep our eyes focused on 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 Him who you know we don't we do not see like other people around us, or we do not we do right. not. Uh, uh, it's not a, a clear evident uh, good that is set before us, but it is it's covered in mystery and sacrament and all of these things mm. how, how do we do that you know and, and scriptures are scripture should be the first place we go when we're trying to understand uh uh this this most important thing of you know happiness uh and and eternal life right right um so i invite all of our listeners uh um check out check out the passages below and um uh, really take them to prayer and you know uh hopefully this has helped you to to maybe Think about happiness, right? Uh, maybe kind of reconfigure your your sights. Um, um, help, hopefully, it'll help you clarify your aim. Um, and uh, uh, I want to invite all of our listeners also check out all of our content over at uh, CatholicStudiesAcademy.com. Until next time, God bless. <laughs>